We wrap up our series today on Not for Cowards, which has been a series on parenting. And so um, whether you have children or not, um, grandchildren, uh, you know, uh, or you hope to have them at some point, hopefully what you found in this series is some benefit in remembering our number one priority as parents, as grandparents, um, really your number one priority that pours into anyone. Your number one priority is to raise children that love Jesus more than they love anything else. That's what we do. That's what we're about. On top of that, hopefully over the last couple of weeks, we've learned some, some good biblical principles that'll help us in that. But today we wrap up um, and if you've missed those, you can always check it out online. We've actually had a couple of podcasts, too, that have been very specific about deeper things um, in this series and on these topics. And so um, you can check those out. But today, as we wrap up this series, we have to talk about one of the hardest, most heartbreaking things for parents, for grandparents. And that's prodigals. We have to talk about, as we wrap this up, we have to talk about this heartbreaking thing of what happens when it goes wrong. What happens when we've, when we've poured into our kids and we've taught them about a life of faith? And it might not even be kids, right? We could be talking about siblings. We could be talking, some of you have got husbands that fit this category. Some of you have wives that fit this category. And, right, and, and, and it's, it's friends and family members and coworkers, people that we've, that we've poured into, but yet they still remain obstinate and away from faith. And so one of the things that we have to deal with is what happens when it doesn't go well? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but for those of you that have kids that are teenagers or kids that are out of the house, some of you know, right? Some of you know this heartache, the loneliness, the pain of knowing that, you know what? Either I poured into them and it, it hasn't seemed to have taken, or for some of you, it's the guilt of they're out of my house or they're teenagers in my house, and I didn't know until it was too late what I was supposed to be teaching them. And now, now they're either young adults or they're adults and they're out of my care and I didn't get a chance to pour into them what I wanted to pour into them and we deal with that guilt. Listen, there's a lot of that that happens. But what happens with prodigals is that there's a point in time where they reject what we've tried to put in front of them and they go their own way. And we know that's going to happen. We know that that's part of it. The Bible tells us that this part of it, because when you're 18, 19, 17, 25, 30 years old, it doesn't matter. There is a path before you that seems right. And it seems like it should go somewhere fun. And it seems like it goes where you want it to go. And it seems like it's awesome because sex without strings feels good. And alcohol and drug use, man, sometimes that high is as good as it gets. And doing whatever I want, whenever I want, seems right. Living in sin, engaging in things that are contrary to the will of God. Right now, it makes good human sense to me. There is a way that seems right. And so prodigals will go their own way because it seems right. Some of you, listen, some of you here, some of you need to, to dig into this because we're not talking about your prodigal children or grandchildren or coworkers or friends or spouses. We're talking about you. There is a way that seems right. But in the end... In the end, it leads to death. And so it's our job. It's our job as the church. It's your job as parents. Even when they've walked away, even when they've rejected, it's our job to continue to parent well. 
It's our job to be the kind of spouse that calls them home. It's our job to be the kind of sibling that continues to pour in. It's our job to be the grandparent that's above all of the drama. It's our job to be the coworker that is a shining beacon of light. It's our job to do these things, right? But, but a prodigal is simply someone that rejects faith, they reject God, and they go their own way. Sometimes prodigals are easy to spot, because their lives would make you cringe. Sometimes they're hard to spot because they're good people. They're good kids. They're good young adults. They're good um, worker. They, they do right things, um, but yet they've still rejected God in his ways. Okay? So we, we need to dig into this today. We need to figure out what the truth is about prodigals. We need to figure out what God's called us to with this. Uh, but there's something before we start there's something that I need you to know. Two things. Uh, And and the second is most critical, but it flows from the first. Um, Listen to me. All of you, myself included, all of us are in some way, shape, or form, we are prodigals. Because in some way, shape, or form, all of us are continually rejecting the God of the universe. Sometimes we do it on purpose when we choose sin over God. Sometimes we do it accidentally uh, when we just slowly over time start to drift away, right? But all of us to some degree are prodigals. All of us to some degree um, are sinful and we're not righteous. Romans 3 tells us that, that, that all are sinful. There is no one that does good. No one is righteous. But, but the simple point is this, because all of us are prodigals, there is nobody that understands your pain. Nobody that understands your loneliness. Nobody that understands your sorrow. Nobody that understands your hurt better than God. Listen really, really carefully. If you have parental pain, if you struggle with this, listen to me. God gets it. And there is hope. Because God understands your pain, God has provided you with a way to make all things right. God has given you a pathway to hope. Some of you here, some of you here desperately need to hold on to that hope. Some of you need it for your parents, too. I guess I should have said that earlier, right? Like some of you are here and and, um, you're not the prodigal in the scenario your parents are. And you desperately need hope for your parents. You desperately need hope that there is a chance that they will respond to faith and they will come to faith and they will engage in faith. And listen to me, there is hope. And we find it in scripture. God gives it. And I really want to encourage you to dig deep as we get into this today. Uh, Remember we said in week one that there is always hope when we're talking about our children or the people that we love. We said this, we said it's much easier to raise a child than to fix one, than to fix an adult. Right? It's much easier to raise a kid than it is to fix an adult. That's a true fact. Some of us, though, it's too late to do it that way. So, don't be discouraged. Don't give up hope, but dig in here. All right? So, we're going to deal with this, and, and we're going to start um, in Luke 15. Uh, we're going to go through the story of the prodigal son. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to look at the first eight verses together here to start with, uh, 11 through 19. Um, or you can just check it out on the screen. It says, a man had two sons. 
the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate. By the way, this is, this is the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, it's pretty famous. We should know it well. Um, it, back in September, we, we spent six weeks preaching through this parable, right? Um, I'm sure that Pastor David has preached through this in the past. So this is something we should know well. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, does it get any more brazen than this? Um, I wish you were dead. I know what you're saying. You're saying it doesn't say that on the screen, but that's what it says. I want my share of the inheritance. And since you haven't died already, will you just give it to me now? I don't want to wait for your death. I want it now. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Okay, so this is a selfish, all-about-me act. The son says, I want my share. Um, It's not mine, but it will be when you die. I want you to give it to me now. Uh, It continues a few days later. So after he's been given his share of the estate, the young man packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant country, a a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Wild living is, if you've got some that are small, you can cover their ears here for a second. I'll give you, plug it up. Wild living is um, code here for drunken, free-for-all parties. Think about the wildest, um, if you've been to college, I know you went to these. I, I know right now your parents, they're like, they paid good money, not for me to go to frat parties, but you went. I know you did, right? At least once. Think about the wildest frat party you've ever been to and then multiply it by 10. This, this kid took all of his estate and he um, went and he wasted all of his money in wild living. And you know what? It was awesome. He was the life of the party. He was the life of the party because he was the host of the party. He was the one paying for everything. So there, there was alcohol. There was sex. There was um, just things that would make his parents blush. And he engaged in all of it. And he enjoyed it. I mean, let's be honest, right? Sin, when we are actively engaged in sin, it's fun sometimes. There's a reason people get sucked into it, right? Raise your hand if you absolutely hate Brussels sprouts. You know what I'm talking about then. I'm going to focus over, was there, we're here. But here's the deal. Nobody, and I mean nobody that hates Brussels sprouts, says, you know what I'm going to do tonight for dinner? I'm going to eat Brussels sprouts. Why would anybody ever do that to themselves? It doesn't make earthly sense. We wouldn't do it. You don't engage in things that don't make you happy in the moment. You engage in things that seem right, that seem fun. But they always lead to death. But he wasted his money, he wasted his life in wild living, and it was enjoyable for a minute. But about that time, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. What happened is while he was in the distant country, and the alarm bells started to ring, Right? It was fun for a second. He engaged in it. He liked it. He enjoyed it. But the alarm started to ring. God was trying to get his attention. And all of a sudden now he finds himself without money in the middle of a great famine. 
and he began to starve. That is not wordplay. That is not the same thing as your kids going to the fridge, opening it up, and saying, I'm starving and there's nothing to eat because all there are are Brussels sprouts. This is legit starving. Life ebbing away from him because there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. Life draining. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so what happens here is he finally comes to his senses, and he goes home with the plan of begging his father to treat him like he treats one of the servants. This is the practical definition. It's the biblical definition of a prodigal. Someone who rejects his parents, he rejects their God, he rejects everything, and he goes out on his own. And so we know that pain all too well, some of us, and we have to figure out what we want to do to reach our prodigals and what's at stake when we try to reach our prodigals. And, and a lot of times people... Um, they they want to know, like, when their kids walk away from faith, they want to know what their responsibility is. I've had numerous conversations with adults who have adult children that are living um, in rebellion. And as adults, they ask me, they say, Pastor, what, what is my responsibility to my adult child that's living in rebellion? They're not under my roof anymore. I've taught them well. I've, I've shown them what they should do. I've given it to them, and now they refuse to live in any of it. Not only that, but they, they just continue to live rebellious. What's my responsibility? And listen to me. Your responsibility is heavy. And we're going to deal with this as we get into to, to the things that should give us hope in this. But listen to me. Your responsibility is thick in that. And it is deep. And it is heavy. Because God has given you the great privilege of parenting well. And that doesn't end when your children leave the home. Just like their biblical responsibility to honor you doesn't end when they leave the home. The nature of it has to change, but your responsibility is thick and heavy. Okay, and so let's, let's get into this um, a, a little bit more, too. Um, this calls into question. Listen, some of us, when we think about our prodigals, I just want to be honest with you, you lie to yourself. When you think about your adult children or your spouse or your brother or whoever it is that has seemingly walked away from faith, you lie to yourself because what you say to yourself is, well, they are a Christian who has stopped acting like a Christian, right? So, so you say to yourself, well, they're fine. They're fine. They're Christians, and they've stopped acting like Christians, and what happens is they need to come back to their senses and start acting like Christians again. But what you're really saying to yourself is, is if something tragic happens to them right now, they're okay they're just being a little rebellious, but they're still okay. And, and i got to be honest with you, I'm just not sure that that's true. And I'm not sure that that's true because of the way that we read this. You're going to read this passage of Scripture. The two parables that Jesus tells right before this, the lost coin and the lost sheep, are very clearly, unequivocally about salvation. That Jesus will leave 
the 99 to go track down the one to find the one to bring it into the fold so that that one was lost and now it's found it's redeemed it's the language that he uses to say this one that was outside of faith is now fully in faith and a lot of us what we do is we like to bank on this idea of household salvation we wouldn't say it that way probably and we wouldn't articulate it necessarily, but we are banking on this idea of household salvation. Here's what household salvation is. I raised them in a Christian way, right? I took them to church every Sunday. I made them get baptized. I made them do their confirmation, right? I baptized them when they were little. Um, I made them know about Jesus. Their household then is Christian, and so they are good. And maybe they're a little rebellious, but they know everything they need to know, and so they're good. And we have this idea of household salvation, but here's the thing about it. It's not real. You can read the entirety of the New Testament, and you will never, not once, read about something called household salvation. You won't read any kind of scripture that would indicate, that's read in the proper context, that somehow your faith saves your children. Or that somehow your faith saves your spouse. Or that somehow your faith will save your parents or your siblings. It doesn't work that way. There is one covenant community that we read about in Scripture, and that covenant community is the church. And there is one way to be a member of the church. And the way that you are a member of the church is to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. It doesn't get simpler than that, but we've turned it into something else. And so, at least in this context of the story that Jesus is telling here, this prodigal is not a Christian who has decided to act weird for a second. This is a young man that when it became his time to choose for himself, very clearly chose to live a life that did not follow Jesus. And some of you have children that are out of the house and you're banking on the fact that I, I you know what, I made them go to church, I, I made them pray a prayer, or, or you know, I, I got them baptized, or they said their confirmation because we went to classes and they knew that was what is expected, and so I, I'm, I'm relying on that, and that's what's, listen to me, there is too much at stake for that. Household salvation isn't a thing. Right? Salvation isn't distinctly personal decision that you have to make. That's one of the reasons why we're really careful here at Blessed Hope Community Church with what we do and don't do as far as some of the, um, some of the things that we um, do and the ceremonies that we perform. That's why we don't do infant baptism, right? Because even when we did infant baptism in our past, or if we're from Reformed traditions and we do infant baptisms, we're not saying that the baptism saves them, but something gets muddied in there. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down to have a funeral, and it's a funeral with zero hope. Because it is someone who has rejected God their entire lives and wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But we sit down at the funeral, and their family says, well, you know, they, they got baptized when they were a baby. You know, they said confirmation when they were 12. They're good. Like, there's no such thing as household salvation. What's at stake for this prodigal is his eternal soul. For some of you, what's at stake for your prodigals, if you are really honest with yourselves, is their eternal salvation. This is a big deal. 
And so we have to figure this out. We have to know what we're supposed to do. Um, and there are three things that prodigals typically have in common. If you're curious, are your kids prodigals right now? Um, are they wandering? There are three things that they typically have in common. Well, first, let me tell you this. They can wander in a couple different ways. Some of our kids, they wander spiritually. They go to the, the distant spiritual country. They're like, you know what? All this Jesus stuff, all this Christianity, like, that's your thing. It's not my thing, right? Just because you say Jesus is real doesn't mean I have to believe that Jesus is real. And just because you say that Jesus is the only way doesn't mean that I have to believe that Jesus is the only way. And so what happens is they reject spiritually. They may go still live a decent life, but they have gone away to the distant spiritual country and they are doing whatever they want. They've rejected the idea that Jesus is the answer that they need. Okay? Other times, we have kids that, that might even still talk about Jesus a little bit. They might not reject Jesus verbally, but they head off to a distant moral country where they reject, they reject following God with their behavior. These are the ones that are like, they're like, Mom, Dad, you know what? I know that you say this is right, and I know that you say this is wrong, but, but you know what? Who says you're right? I'm tired of living by your rules. I want to go do what I want to do. And so they go, and they might, they might still say, yeah, I follow Jesus, but, but they engage in this other living that, that would indicate that, no, they, they don't really, and they're in a distant moral country. What's at stake? Guys, what's at stake is their salvation, okay? But there are three things. There are three things that we typically see. One, they become increasingly self-centered. A prodigal is um, the god of their own universe, and here's the problem with prodigals too. If you try to tell them that they're not, they will actually get mad at you for not accepting them for who they are. Why not just accept me, right? Why not just love me for who I am? And they will continually, they will continually push back on you that you're being harsh and, and you're being judgmental and that you're being hard to get along with when the reality is you're just telling them what's true. And we have to be careful how we tell them what's true Right? We, don't, we don't win many people by hitting them with a bat. But ultimately, prodigals become more increasingly self-centered. It's like the son coming to his father and saying, you know what, when you die, you're going to give me half of your stuff. Give it to me now. Because I'm tired of living in your house, and I'm tired of living under your rules, and I'm tired of doing things your way, and I want to do what I want when I want it. Increasingly self-centered. Prodigals think they know everything. You know who else thinks they know everything? Teenagers. Some of you, some of the teenagers in the room are looking incredulous, like, right, what? No. No, I know for a fact that I don't think I know everything, um, which is ironic. Um, whatever. Here's the deal. Teenagers and prodigals oftentimes look a lot alike. If you're parenting teenagers that are struggling with their faith, okay, you've still got time to pour into them, but teenagers and prodigals start to look an awful lot alike. It's one of the reasons why we continue to parent hard when we have teenagers. Starts to look alike if we're not careful. But they think they know all the answers, and they don't want to know anything that you've got. This is the prodigal. He's out there. He is blowing through everything he has. He has actually surrounded himself only with people that will tell him what he wants to hear. 
You know, you got to think about that. A, a, a prodigal who thinks they know everything will not listen to people that tell them hard truth. What they do, though, is they surround themselves with people that will tell them everything they want to hear. And in this climate, in this day and age, listen to me, they can find a spiritual authority that will validate their stupid choices. Carrie and I, I've told you this story so many times, you're sick of hearing about it, I'm sure. But they gave me a microphone, deal with it. Carrie and I, because we decided that we knew better than everybody else and we were going to live together before we got married, right? And we decided that we knew better than everybody else. And the pastor that, of the church that we attended, that we asked to marry us in love, he said, no. He's like, no, you, you can't ask God to honor your marriage if you're not going to honor God before your marriage. It doesn't work. So you know what we did? We went and found another spiritual authority to marry us and to tell us that we were doing right. It wasn't hard. They're everywhere. But that's what we did. Because when you're a prodigal, it raised, I've been there. When you're a prodigal, right, you're selfish and self-centered, and you know better than everybody else. And you surround yourself with people that tell you that you're right. And the last thing is, you're driven by instant gratification. For the guy in the story, it was wild living, drunken orgies. For Carrie and I, for Carrie and I, it was, we wanted to play house because it was simpler. We could save some cash, right? We could uh, make life easier for ourselves. We could just do some of those things. And, and so that's what we did. But whatever it is, when a prodigal starts to walk away, um, they are seeking instant gratification, right? And when you go to the distant country, oh man, when you go to the distant country, you enjoy it for a while, but you always, always, always will eventually hit rock bottom. Our kids, our prodigals that are wandering, listen to me, their sin is going to find them out and it is going to cost more than they want to pay. Just like it does for you, just like it does for me. Um, but your prodigals are going to hurt. But here's the deal. Here's what we know. When they hurt, here's who hurts more. You do. You hurt more than they do. And you know who hurts even more than that? God does. Because when his children hurt, it breaks his heart. And when his children are walking down a path that leads to death, it breaks his heart because he wants more. He wants more for you. He wants more for them. And so he gives us some things that we can do in Scripture. There's three things that I want to show you in Scripture that will give hope, hopefully, to your heart when you're dealing with prodigals. And if you've been a prodigal and you are back in faith and you have returned and you have submitted yourself to Jesus Christ, if that was you, like it was for me, then here's what I know. I know that people did these things for me. These three things. I know that they happened on my behalf. Right? I know, listen to me, listen, listen, listen really carefully to me. I know that they worked for my parents because these are things I did with my parents who didn't come to faith until later in life, who both were prodigals, both wandering. Right? They were, they were in a, a distant spiritual country, a distant moral country, and, and, and these are things that worked eventually to bring them back, that God used. 
So I want to tell you, there is hope for your children. There is hope for your spouse. There's hope for your siblings. There's, there's hope for your parents. There's hope for the, the prodigals in your life that are wandered. We just have to be diligent. And there's three things we can track in Scripture that will help us with this. First thing is this, unwavering prayer. Sometimes you've been there where you make the stupid mistake of saying, well, the only thing we can do now is pray. All that's left is to pray. You know, like we tried it, right? We sent them to counseling. We put them in rehab. We, uh, you know, we took their car away. We grounded them. Sometimes we even locked them in their room. We actively restrained them so we couldn't leave. We took their money and their resources. We did all of these things. All that's left now is to pray. Basically, like we're saying this, like we're saying, okay, God, I couldn't do it. I doubt you can either, but I guess I'll give you a shot. Like, I don't think you could do anything, but I'll let you try it. But the reality is, prayer should be our first line of attack. And when I say pray, listen to me. I do not mean Sunday school kindergarten prayers. If you have a prodigal in your life, listen to me, listen to me. If you get nothing, look, fight with God for the prodigal. Fight with God for your children. Wrestle with God, especially those of you, you're like, you know what? I have so much shame and I have so much guilt because I didn't raise them the way that I should have. I didn't know what I know now. I didn't know what I was supposed to do and now they're gone and what am I supposed to do? You know what you're supposed to do? Fight with God for your children. Plead with him for them. Be like Jacob who wrestles with God until daybreak and says, I will not let you go until you give me a blessing. I won't do it. Fight with God for your children. There is far too much at stake. There is far too much at stake for you to say at the end of the night in a 30-second prayer, oh God, please take care of my kids. And that would be a stretch for some of you. Fight with God for your children. Unwavering prayer. It does not stop. It does not back down. It never quits. You say to God, I have no idea how this is going to work, God, but you'll have to take care of it because I have nothing. And you don't stop. And may I give you some advice? Uh, think about this. Think about Colossians 1, 9 through 10. We have not stopped praying for you. This is Paul, a spiritual father, talking to his children. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually unwavering. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? Why? Why do we ask that you be filled with wisdom and knowledge of the Spirit? So that you can get it right. So that you can live a life worthy of the Lord that pleases him in every way, bearing good fruit in every work, growing in the knowledge of God. Unwavering prayer. Do not stop and there are three specific things that I would say pray for. Pray that they'll have the right friends. Pray that they'll have the right friends. And Proverbs 1, 10 through 15, let me read it for you here. Proverbs 1, 10 through 15 says this, if I could get there. There it is. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. First of all, listen, if your kids have friends... They're like, come on with us. Let's hide and kill people, right? 
you got issues. We need to talk. Right? But in your context, you know what it is to have the wrong friends. In your context. If you've got little ones at home, you probably should be praying these things for your little ones before it gets to this point. Pray these things for your grandchildren before it gets to this point. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive like the grave who, who go down to the pit of death. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the loot. My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their past. It's a way that seems right, but in the end, everything leads to death. Listen to me. If you are praying for prodigals, you must pray that they have the right friends. And sometimes that means that the wrong friends need to disappear. And you've got to pray for that. And if you have the power to institute it, you have to institute that. Listen, this one hurts, but pray that they'll get caught when they're guilty. Pray that they'll get caught when they're guilty. Psalm 119.71 My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. Pray that when they're guilty, they will get caught. Some of you, some of you work overtime to bail them out when they get caught. When their life falls apart because they've been living in wanton, ridiculous sin, some of you, instead of thanking God that they're guilty and that they're caught, some of you work overtime to make their lives easier. Salvation is at stake. It's bigger than you think it is if you're trying to bail them out. It doesn't work. Pray that God will do whatever it takes. Think about the prodigal. He found himself literally starving in a pig pen. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, well, we don't know in the story that the father prayed. Listen to me. The father does everything right in the story. I promise you, the father in the story was praying for his son. And part of that prayer was, God, do whatever it takes to bring him to his knees. And guess what? The famine in the land the abandonment of all of his friends that were along for a free ride, all of that was an answer to prayer, a hard prayer that says, God, do whatever it takes. It's not an easy prayer, but it's a necessary prayer. God, do whatever it takes. The consequences are too rich. The stakes are too high. So unwavering prayer, pray like their souls depend on it. Two, unending patience. Unending patience. Listen, Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, if what? If we do not give up. Un wavering prayer and unending patience. Listen to me. Listen, this is critical. Listen, you can't miss this. Come on. You got to get this. You cannot write your kids off. You cannot write your spouse off. 
You cannot write your parents off. You cannot write your siblings off. The nature of your relationship must change when they engage in rebellion. It necessarily must change, but you cannot write them off. You can't give up on them. You can't send them away forever. That's not your role. Unending patience. It doesn't mean that you let yourself be taken advantage of, and it doesn't mean that you let them walk all over you, and it doesn't mean that you let them continue to abuse you, and it doesn't mean that you let them continue to live a life of sin, and you're helping them along the way. But what it means is that you never stop. You never stop parenting. You never stop living with, if it's your spouse, you never start rejecting. I mean, listen, listen. You can't give up. Un ending patience. There's too much at stake. And the final thing is that we live with unconditional love. Unconditional love does not allow for sin to just have its way. Sometimes unconditional love draws hard lines in the sand. Sometimes unconditional love says, you know what? You must choose. But it means I never stop loving. I never stop longing, I never stop praying, I never stop waiting, and I never stop leaving an opportunity for repentance. I've counseled husbands, and I've counseled wives, and I've counseled parents, and I've counseled children when it comes to what does it look like to unconditionally love someone who has hurt me and continues to hurt me. And sometimes we must draw hard lines Sometimes we have to draw hard lines. But drawing a hard line never means that I'm walking away from you. Drawing a hard line never means that I reject you. Because in, in unwavering prayer and in unending patience with unconditional love, we're always looking for reconciliation. We're always looking for restoration. Look at the father in this story. Let's finish it out. Luke 15, 20. So he returned home. This is the son who says, you know what? I'm going to go home and beg to be a servant because that's better than starving in a pig pen. And so he comes to his senses and he goes home. When he returned home, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father saw him coming because he'd been unwaveringly praying for him and his patience and longing for his son was unending. And he loved him so much that he was sitting there day and night looking for him. Is today the day? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the day after. But he never stopped looking and so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. You're home! Somebody get Bessie. Kill her. We're having steaks and a party tonight. And he puts on the fanciest robe and he gives him the largest ring and he welcomes him home in unconditional love. Your sin is not welcome here, but you always are. And I can't condone your sinfulness, but in unconditional love, there is always a path of reconciliation and restoration. That's what God in heaven does for us. You know that, right? That's what he does for us. Let's look real quick at this. This is just practical. A couple of things. Um, this isn't my research. This is actually research done um, um, through Lifeway. Some things to know about. Don't be embarrassed to ask for support. If you're parenting a prodigal, a spouse, 
um, a child, um, a parent, or whatever, ask for help. Ask for support. Ask for prayer help, if nothing else. Right? Because that's where the power is. Know the difference between helping and enabling. You get to draw hard lines. Sometimes their suffering is an answer to prayer. God, do whatever it takes to bring them to their knees. Don't try to shortchange what God's trying to do by trying to bail them out. Set boundaries. Don't forget the rest of your family in the process. Right? You still have other people in your life that need your love and care. Uh, Don't blame yourself. Be unified with your spouse. Remember that God's love for your child, right? God loves your child more than you ever could. Find hope in that and look forward. Man, look forward. When you do the things that God puts in front of you, you are literally doing everything that you possibly can. When you have unwavering prayer and you have unending patience and in unconditional love, you are always providing a way home for reconciliation and restoration. You are doing everything that there is to do And so you can have trust and faith in the God of the universe because he loves them more than you ever could. So you can look forward. doesn't mean it's easy to go through it now, but you can look forward with hope because this is God's attitude towards your prodigal. It's his attitude towards you. It's his attitude towards your prodigal. Listen, come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. That's God's heart for you. That's his heart for the prodigal that you are praying for. Find hope in that and do your part. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and they'll close us out. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much that you feel more parental pain than we ever could. Thank you so much for, for... Um, providing reconciliation for us in our rebellion through the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And thank you so much that, that that provision is there for our prodigals, the people in our lives that are wandering and are lost and are hurting. Thank you that, that you continue to love them and call them home. Father, use us. Use us to be part of the reconciliation restoration process. Help us to, to pray um, with unwavering tenacity. Help us to have patience that endures even the hardest, darkest of times. And help us never to lose sight of the fact that you've called us to love unconditionally. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.